Welcome to the Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. I was asleep in a little twin-size bed, or what they called a twin-size bed in India, and I was resting about as well as I could rest. We were exhausted, and uh, it, in the room, it was myself, Pastor Hall, and Pastor Matt, and uh, I was out, Pastor Matt was out, and for some reason, Pastor Hall had gotten up in the middle of the night, and uh, we heard some loud noises, we heard some lights, saw some lights flipping on. And at about 3 o'clock in the morning, he walks into the room with a piece of plumbing from the commode in the bathroom that was adjacent to our room. And uh, he said, the commode was not working, but I fixed it. So it's working now. So I can testify that he's not just a doer here, he's a doer everywhere he goes. And uh, that's right. So he had a little jump start on the plumbing. But he is, he's a doer. And um, I think that's a good example for this house. Are you excited about this new year? Are you excited about what God has put on your heart and what He's stirring in you and what He's going to bring out of you and bring through you this year? I'm excited about this new format that we've started on Wednesday nights. And I told Pastor Mike today, I'm believing that this new format, that this change is going to create a shift in this house. Because this house is committed to discipleship for this year. This house has committed to pour into the lives of its people. Because how many of you know that Jesus said to occupy? And it's hard to occupy when you're not filled up. It's hard to occupy when you're not fully equipped the way that you've been called to equip, to be equipped. So we want to equip you this year. We want to equip you with every tool that you need to succeed this year. To chase after the dreams, to chase after the desires, and to chase after what He's put on your heart both corporately and individually and as families, because we believe that this year is going to be a year of renewal and restoration in God's people. When Pastor Matt asked me to teach this class, God had been dealing with me about prayer for maybe a month or so already. And so he asked, what do you want to teach about? And I said, let's teach about prayer. What a better way to start the year. And Pastor Matt said, we need a a good title. Let's come up with a good title. And so I threw out some titles that were... Nice. I threw out some titles that were maybe safe. And Pastor Matt said, what if we call it Prayer That Makes a Difference? And I said, that's a pretty audacious title. And he said, I think it should be an audacious class. So I think over the next four weeks, I want to take you on a journey and show you some of the things that God has shown me. And he has revealed to me and just asked that he would fill this house with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That he would give us an understanding of the key principles of prayer. These are not all the principles of prayer. You can Google books on prayer and get millions upon millions of results. But I want to specifically take you to the Gospels. Let's look at the life of Jesus and what did prayer look like in the life of Jesus. What did prayer look like in his life and in the lives of the people that were closest to him? How did he interact with prayer? How did he treat prayer? How did he talk about prayer? How did he live out prayer? And let's model what he's exampled for us. Tonight's first class is going to be centered around communion. Communion. That's a weird word when it comes to terms to the understanding of prayer. Communion. 
I remember growing up, prayer was a difficult concept for me to wrap my mind around. I treated prayer like a laundry list. And I treated it like a to-do item. I treated prayer like something that I had to check off. And I treated prayer like something that was a hassle and a burden. But God taught me how to pray. And it wasn't easy. But He taught me. When He took me to Charlotte, I lived there for six months by myself before Lauren moved down after we got married. And for six months, he worked on me. And I thought he was done working on me until about a year and a half later, and he moved me to second shift at the news station. And so for another year while we were in Charlotte, Lauren would work or go to school during the day and work at night. And I would work at night from around three in the afternoon till midnight. But in the morning, I was home by myself, and God worked on me. And for a year, he taught me how to pray. He taught me how to seek Him. He taught me how to get into that secret place and to get alone with Him. And I want to share with you some of what He's given to me, some of what He's showed me, and some of what He's revealed to me over the last couple of weeks. So the notes that you have are just some of the notes that I'm going to go over. This is not an extensive list. I know there's a lot. And we're going to try to crank through as much of this as we can. And it's deep. Some of this stuff is, is, is piled on. There's a lot of Scripture references. But I want to try to give you as much information as you can so that you can take this home and you can work it out yourself and you can put it to the test yourself. So the first... First words that I have listed there, those are all of the transliterations of the word pray or prayer in the New Testament. The, the, you see from top to bottom, I've got both the word listed as well as um, the, the uh, Strong's number and the pronunciation. I've got the number of times that it appears as well as the number of times that it appears in the gospel. Some of these words don't appear in the gospels. Um, some of these words only appear a couple of times. For our purposes tonight, we're going to focus on the second word that's on that list. Prosuhamai. Prosuhamai. That is G4336. That word appears 87 times in the New Testament. And 43 of those times are in the Gospels. 43 of the appearances of that word are in the Gospels. 76% of the uses of the word pray or prayer are in the Gospels. In the New Testament, the word pray or prayer is used 235 times. And 180 of those are in the New Testament. Or in the Gospels. How many of you know Jesus was trying to tell us something about how to communicate with the Father? This word, prasuhamai, it means to offer prayers, to pray, to supplicate, and to worship. This is the only word in the New Testament that is transliterated pray or prayer that is defined in part as worship. The only word that is defined as worship. Every other word that is defined as prayer is exactly what you think it is. It's to ask, to intercede, to come and to, to um, supplicate with the Father. But this word is the only word that is used in relation to worship. It is the most common use in the gospel. It is the most common use in the New Testament. And I think God was trying to tell us something. There is an element to prayer that includes and involves worship. What is worship? Worship is worth-ship. If you've been in this house very long, you know that worship is worth-ship. But what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that you're telling God about what He means to you and about who He is. And worship is different than praise because worship requires intimacy. 
Worship requires an intimate knowing of who God is. I can hand something to a stranger and they can say thank you. That's what praise is. But in order to tell someone how good of a person they are or how awesome they are just because of who they are, it requires an intimate relationship. Worship requires an intimate relationship with the Father. We cannot have worship without intimacy. And we cannot have intimacy without communion. 19 times, 45% of the uses of this word in the gospel, prosuhame, G4336, refer to Jesus' private communion with the Father. Jesus talked a lot about prayer. He talked a lot about how to pray and he talked about when to pray. But 45% of the uses of this word were when Jesus got alone with God. The majority of these uses talk about Jesus getting alone with God. Communion, I would offer to you, is the primary principle when it comes to prayer. Communion is the primary principle when it comes to prayer. Not asking, not seeking, not believing, not faith, not trust. All of those things are good things. But communion is the primary principle of prayer. That Jesus illustrated in the New Testament. Because communion changes us. Communion does something to us. Prayer is an instrument that is used by nearly every religion on the planet. But communion is what separates Christianity. Communion is the exchange of ideas, of feelings, of thoughts, of opinions. Communion is not just talking to God, but it's receiving from God. Communion is what sets Christianity apart. Buddhists pray, Muslims pray, Hindus pray, but they do not commune with their gods. They do not have the ability to hear from their gods, to receive from their gods, to understand what their gods are saying and what their gods are feeling and what their gods are revealing. We have an opportunity to tune our ears in to the King of glory. We have an opportunity to tune our ears in to the King of heaven. And He has invited us into a space to commune with Him. So that not only can we express everything that's on our lives to Him, but that He can express His heart to us. I want to take you through tonight some of the results and the products of what communion with the Father does. The first one is communion with the Father results in oneness. Communion with the Father results in oneness. John 10.30 says, I... And the Father are one. This is Jesus speaking. John 17, 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they, that you and I, may be one, even as we are one. And John 17, 22, Jesus said, The glory that you have given me, I give unto them, that they may be one, even as we are one. The, one, the word one here is highest. It is one. Only, singular, one in the same, and this is my favorite part, in opposition to division of parts. It is in opposition to division. Communion with the Father does not just create oneness where it connects us with Him, but it opposes division. Communion with the Father fights against division in our lives. There are many things in this world that will separate you from His presence. There are many things in this world that will try to take a place in your life to separate you 
from communing with Him and separates you from hearing Him. But communion with Him destroys that division. Communion does not just bring us into a place closer to Him, but it actively fights on our behalf. It is opposed to the division that this world would try to bring. It fights against the division that this world would try to bring. Communion singles us up. The word here is singular. It creates a singular mind. It creates a singular uh, connection between us and the Father. And it brings us into a closer relationship with Him. And it, it, it brings us to a place where we are able to... to have full communion with Him, where we're able to lay aside all the stuff that we bring in, all the junk that we bring in, all the stuff that's weighing us down and the stuff that's fighting against us. And it brings us to a place where we can abide with Him and we can truly have relationship with Him. Communion with the Father creates oneness. It opposes division into parts. When the world tries to separate you from your God, communion fights against that separation. Communion goes to war on your behalf because it says that you have, an op- you have the right to not be divided out away from Him. But it creates a, a magnetic effect that pulls the two together. Have you ever tried to, to separate magnets? I remember when we were in high school, they had these ginormous magnets. They were like this, the size of a baseball. And you couldn't, for the life of you, pull them apart. This is what communion does between us and the Father. It sucks us together and it creates a force that is inseparable by this world, by the enemy, by circumstances, by situations. You know, we're really good at giving the devil credit sometimes in church in America. We're really good at talking about what he's good at doing. We're really good at talking about how he's able to throw all this junk at us and weigh us down and beat us down. Can I offer to you tonight that communion with the Father is an is a escape from the troubles and the trials of this life. And it's not going to make them disappear, but it's going to suck you in close to Him. It's going to create a bond between the two that is unbreakable and unshakable by the things of this world. And even hell itself cannot separate what He has joined together. It creates oneness between us. Jesus said, Father, just as you and I were one, how close of a oneness was it between the Father and the Son? How close of a oneness was it between Jesus and the Father? That He said, I only speak what I hear and I only do what He tells me to do. He said that same oneness that we had, that same oneness that we operated in, the same oneness that we walked in and we talked in, that we prayed in and we fasted in, that oneness you give to them. Not a a similar oneness, not a oneness that is unique to them, but the same relational oneness status that I had with you, I pray that you give to them. We have been drawn to Him through communion. When we commune with Him, we are drawn to Him. And this world cannot separate us. Communion aligns us with the will of God. The Lord's Prayer is is given to us in Matthew 6, verses 9-13, through and Luke 11, 2-4, and both instances use this word prosuhamai g4336 Luke 11 2 through 4 Jesus said unto them when you pray say our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done 
as in heaven, so on earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we pray in communion with the Father, we become kingdom-minded. Communion with the Father transitions our mindset. Communion with the Father shifts our understanding. I'm not telling you tonight that you can't go to God with your, your issues. I'm not telling you tonight that not to go to God with your problems. I'm not telling you tonight not to take your worries and your stresses and your fears and all of your prayers to God. But what I'm telling you is there is something in communion that unlocks something in the life of a believer. When we begin to pray in communion, when we first enter into that prayer closet and we say, God, I'm not here just to throw a laundry list of issues at you. I'm not here just to throw all my worries and my stress at you. I'm not here just to tell you all about the things that are going wrong in my life. But I've come here first and foremost to crawl up in your lap and see what you would have to say to me. When we enter into communion, first and foremost, He begins to translate His kingdom mindset into us. And all of a sudden, we start thinking of things differently. And we start looking at circumstance differently. And we start dealing with problems differently. And we start saying, crazy things like let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, let healing come on earth as it is in heaven. Let provision come on earth as it is in heaven. Let prosperity come on earth as it is in heaven. When we commune with Him, it changes something in us. It resets our mind. And it puts His kingdom mindset as a priority. When we make Him a priority, He'll make us a priority. When we prioritize His thoughts and His feelings... His will and His desires, He'll put ours at His priority. Communion with the Father gives us a kingdom mindset. John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. The word for food here is broma. It's meat, food, articles allowed by Jewish law, that which delights and truly satisfies. When we commune with God, it aligns us with His will and it causes true satisfaction in our life. Because we're beginning to walk out something that's bigger than us. We're beginning to walk in something that's larger and more expansive than just our little world. And we start to get a picture of what the Father has for our family and our job and our community and our region. And He begins to express to us His will. His will. John 6.38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus continually kept Himself in prayer. He continually went alone, got away from people to commune with the Father because He knew that His job was not to do His own will. His job was to do the will of Him who sent Him. And how could He do the will without knowing the will? It was his job to carry out the will of the Father, but he had to first receive the instructions of the will of the Father. And I know you might say, well, that's Jesus. Of course he knew the Father's will. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that, the, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and is good and acceptable and perfect. Communion with the Father affords us the opportunity to discern the will of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
The one who knows the end from the beginning. The one who formed this earth and spoke it into existence. The one who reached down and crafted us out of clay. He has a will for our lives. He has a desire and a plan for our lives. And He's given us the opportunity to get glimpses of that will. He's offered us the opportunity to step in and to see what it is that He wants. We can know what He wants. That may not be as crazy to you as it is to me, but it blows my mind that we can know what the God of heaven wants to do in our lives, in our jobs, in our families, in this city and in this church. We don't have to guess at what He wants. We don't have to wonder, well, I wonder if God would would want us to. Or I wonder if God would would be happy if we... We can know His will, but it requires communion. Because it requires us to be quiet. It requires us to stop talking. It requires us to listen. I remember when I first started praying, for real praying in Charlotte. And I remember the Lord telling me to be quiet. I now know it was the Lord at the time. I thought, well, why would I be quiet, devil? I'm praying. You don't be quiet during prayer. I'm praying. I'm trying to say stuff and make stuff happen and do stuff. And I remember when, it, when I finally got the revelation that it is more important for me to sit and be quiet and to allow Him to speak into me than it was for me to just continually speak and throw things out there and lay stuff on Him. I think it's good that we take our cares to Him. James said, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, ask in faith and don't ask amiss. But, but there is time to sit and be quiet. Communion is the exchange of ideas. It is not the translation of ideas. It is not the, the monologue of ideas. It's a dialogue. Communion creates dialogue in our lives. And it allows us to hear from heaven what He would will for us. Communion gives us an entry into His will and allows us to receive out of His will. Communion positions us to receive revelation. Mark 10, Mark 3, and Luke 6 all tell the story of Jesus appointing the twelve disciples. But Luke 6 is the only, word that, is the only passage that actually uses the word pray or prayer. In Luke 6, Jesus, the Bible says, In these days He went out to the mountain to pray. This is Jesus getting alone with God again, communing with the Father. He went out to the mountain to pray. All of these instances of prayer are that same word. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Communion positions us to receive revelation from God. Jesus received the revelation of which of his disciples were called to be the twelve apostles. How many of you know Jesus didn't have twelve people following him around? He had a lot of people. He had a lot of folks that were hanging around. He probably had a lot of good folks that were hanging around. A lot of, um, a lot of gifted folks. Maybe some folks that on the outside would have been better choices than some of the folks he chose. Surely there was someone better than Judas in the crowd. But he had a lot of options. 
But he only received the revelation of who the apostles were to be when he got alone with God. Sometimes you just got to get alone to receive revelation. There are some things in this life that God reveals to us easily for whatever reason. And there are other things in this life that take some communion with Him. They take some pleading and some speaking and some listening. They take some quiet time and sitting down and allowing Him to pour into us. I don't know why He's designed it this way. But He has designed it in a way that there are some revelations that we cannot receive simply by reading His Word. There are some revelations that we can't receive just by talking to Him. Some revelations in this life only come by sitting and listening. Jesus received the revelation of the apostles from being in prayer with God. Jesus, Son of God, fully God and fully man, needed prayer to receive revelation. He needed prayer to receive the will of the Father. And we too can have a revelation of God when we get alone and commune with Him. Jeremiah 23.18, one of my favorite verses For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear His word? Who has paid attention to His word and listened? The word stood here is to stand, remain, tarry, continue, abide, persist, steadfast. This isn't a quick one-stop shop. This isn't a quick pop in and pop out kind of thing. This isn't a quick just run by and God speak to me. I got to go. I got five minutes before I got to get to work and then running out the door. This speaks of time. This speaks of getting alone with God. And this speaks of being remaining in his presence. The word for counsel here is assembly, familiar converse, intimacy with God. So Jeremiah says, who among them has abided, who among them has persisted, who among them has been steadfast, who among them has tarried in God's presence, in intimacy with God, to hear, that's to hear, to give attention, His word, which is business. Who among them has spent time in intimacy with the Lord to see and to understand His business? We can know His business. We can receive revelation of His business. And the word, for, the word here, abiding in communion with God, creates intimacy where He reveals to us not only His will, but revelation. Supernatural revelation. Not only did Jesus receive revelation when He communed with God. Not only did Jesus get an, a look at the will of the Father when He spent alone time with Him, but you and I, clay, we can get alone with God in communion and we can receive revelation of His will, revelation of His plan, revelation of His desires for our life. He has offered us an opportunity to receive revelation, but it only comes through communion. Some revelation can't get through the Word. God gives great revelation through His Word, but some revelation you've got to get alone with Him. Some revelation you've got to spend time with Him. Some revelation you've got to abide with Him. And let Him speak over you and speak to you. Communion allows us to receive revelation from God and to know His will. The next point I made is communion should be private. When I wrote this down, I started to erase it. And then I wrote it back down. And then I started to erase it and I wrote it back down. Because I think there is, not I think, there is plenty of biblical evidence that we ought to pray corporately. 
There's plenty of biblical evidence that we ought to agree in prayer, that we ought to come to agreement, come into agreement. But, but for some reason, Jesus chose to get alone. For some reason, Jesus chose when the disciples were sitting around cutting up, He said, I'm, I'm going to go pray for a while. For some reason, Jesus chose to separate Himself. And evidently, it was important enough for Jesus to get alone with God. So I think it ought to be important for us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We live in a world, in a society that is fascinated with um, recognition. In a, world, in a world that wants a like or a love or a high five or a slap on the tail or whatever for everything they do, can we be a people that's okay with everybody not knowing every time we go to pray? Can we, be, can we just, in an honest moment, can we be a people that don't have to post every time we get alone with God? That we don't have to do the, like the, the coffee cup with the, the, the prayer book open and the pen that's there and like the, the bookmark? Can we just, I mean, if I'm hurting your feelings, I'm sorry. But sometimes we just got to do it just because He said to do it. And we don't have to do it because our Facebook friends will think it's cool. And we don't have to do it because Instagram is going to blow up if we do it. We just got to get alone with him because, I don't know, he said, when you pray, go in and shut the door. So I don't know what that means, but I'm going to just go in and shut the door and I'm going to see what happens. And all I know is the one who I'm supposed to be like got alone with him and prayed to him. And sometimes he prayed for a long time to him. And I know that's not popular in today's church. And I know you all might not want to hear that sometimes you got to abide for a little bit and you got to get alone for a little bit but all I know is that's what this book says and I wasn't brought here to tell you what you'd like but I was brought here to tell you that the word says sometimes you got to get alone and sometimes it's going to take some time it's not always going to be a five minute fix with God it's not always going to be a ten minute prayer and God changes the circumstances Jeremiah said abide in intimacy with him Dwell with Him. Be steadfast and persistent. And then see that He reveals Himself to you. Get alone with Him. Shut the door with Him. Yes, pray with your wife and pray with your husband. And pray with your kids and your church. But take time to get alone with Him. Because He's got stuff in me that He's still working on. That I don't really want Lauren to know about right now. He's got stuff in Lauren that He's working on that I don't need to know about right now. I'm battling thoughts and feelings and emotions. And things are coming my way that He's got to deal with me about. Get alone with God and commune with Him and let Him speak over you. And let Him speak into you and let Him speak to you and about you. And let Him reveal to you what He said about you. Let Him reveal His will to you. Let Him reveal His desires to you. Get alone with Him. I don't know why getting alone with Him has become so controversial. But in church in America today, we've neglected getting alone with Him. And it's evident. It's evident by empty seats. It's evident by churches that have no impact. It's evident by cities that are not transformed. It's evident by people that don't change. 
It's evident by people carrying junk longer than they ought to carry junk. And hanging on to stuff longer than they ought to hang on to it. He said, get alone. Get in your closet and shut the door. And if I sound passionate about this, it's because I am. Because He's done stuff for me in the secret place that He never would have done openly. He's spoken things to me in private that no other ear has heard. That has kept me going on the hardest of days. He's picked me up when I felt like I was nothing. And sometimes He humbles me when I feel like I'm everything. But it's the quiet times when He transforms us. And He is able to exchange with us His feelings and His thoughts and His desires. The King of Heaven who orchestrates the universe speaks His desires over us and into us. But it only comes if we'll take a few minutes to get alone with Him. I don't think you always have to pray for an hour. But I also think you shouldn't always pray for five minutes. I think sometimes the Spirit wants you to pray a little longer. And maybe sometimes He's okay with you praying a little shorter. I think sometimes He's okay with you praying in your car going down the road. I think sometimes He's okay with you praying at your office, in your seat, at your desk. I think sometimes He's good with that, but sometimes I think He's begging us and pleading us, would you just spend a few minutes? Would you just come to the back of the house and shut the door and get away from everybody for a few minutes? Would you just get up a little earlier or stay up a little later and just spend some time with me so that I can speak some stuff into you? Because He will speak stuff in the secret place that He will never speak openly. He will reveal stuff in the secret place that He will never reveal openly. Jesus' greatest revelations did not come in the midst of a crowd. Jesus' greatest revelations did not come when He was standing in the temple reading from the scroll of Isaiah. His greatest revelations didn't come when He was battling the Pharisees over theological principles. His greatest revelations came when He got away with God. You notice every time Jesus went to go and get away with God, He came back triumphantly. Jesus never went and got away with God and came back sad and pitifully. When Jesus got away with God, He came back strengthened. He came back full of power and authority. One time He came back walking on the water and caught a boat. He caught a boat that was sailing on the water across a sea and He came walking on the water and caught it. Getting alone with God does something in us. It changes us. And I know He was the Son of God, but He was also the Son of Man. He was fully God, but He was also fully man. And if He had to get alone with His Father, then maybe we ought to get alone with our Father. Maybe we ought to spend some time in the secret place. Spend some time put away. Put the phone down. Put the tablets down. Put the books down. Put the... Put the instructional manual down on how to get a hold of God and ten steps to get God to move and three steps to see God change your circumstances and just be honest and real with Him and have an exchange. He's desiring an exchange with us, church. He's desiring an exchange with us. And He has given us an invitation to come and to be a part of that exchange. Not a one-way exchange, but a two-way exchange. Jesus got alone with the Father and said you ought to get alone with the Father because something happens when we get alone with Him.
Finally, this is my last point. I'm going to wrap up. Oh, I'm fast on my clock. I'm going by that one. I got more time. Communion (laughs) creates boldness and honesty with God. Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. King James says vain repetitions as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Intimacy and communion with God puts us in a position to be bold with Him. My sister is in the army and she's been gone for a couple of months now. And Sawyer hasn't seen her in a while. And for a two and a half year old, a couple months is an eternity. That's like a sixteenth a of his life. So when Brittany came back and she was spending some time with us for the holidays, Sawyer was timid around her. He was timid around her because he hadn't been around her. He was timid around her because he hadn't spent time with her. And his relationship with her was not cultivated. His relationship with her was not up to date. I watched as Sawyer interacted with Brittany and he was not the same Sawyer that I saw at home. He was not the same Sawyer that I saw when I dropped him off at my mom's house on Monday mornings. That Sawyer was bold. When that Sawyer wanted to eat, he'd tell you he wanted to eat. When he wanted to play, he'd tell you he wanted to play. But it took a while for him to warm up to Brittany because his relationship was not as intimate with Brittany as it was with me or with Lauren or with my parents. Lack of intimacy with God puts us in a position where we become timid and we become afraid and we begin to be driven by fear and anxiety and worry. Intimacy creates boldness. Come boldly unto the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy and grace to help in your time of need. Paul said, in whom, speaking of Christ, we have all boldness with access and confidence by the faith of Him. Intimacy with God puts us in a position to be bold and to be honest and to sometimes be brass with God. God won't ever turn away your honesty. God won't ever be upset with your honesty. Because if you're honest with Him, He'll be honest with you. He might be honest with you even if you're not honest with Him, but... If you're bold with God, He'll be bold with you. When we lack intimacy with the Father, it, it, it puts a, a wet blanket on our prayer life. Because we're no longer able to go in boldly. When we don't have intimacy, we can't go in with, with, with the knowledge that He's our Father and that he's, he's for us and towards us and we can say whatever we need to say before Him. It creates timidity inside of us. And it creates a disconnect. When we get away from Him, it creates a disconnect. And it creates distance. The children of Israel forgot who He was because of distance. Remember, they come out of Egypt. They, Moses goes up on the mountain. Aaron comes and he, he doesn't go up on the mountain. He comes back down and they say, make for us a God. And Aaron crafts a golden calf and he says, behold Israel, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They forgot who God was because they were distant from Him. He didn't say this is a God that you can worship like the God who brought you out of Egypt. He said, behold your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The distance between them and God created a disconnect and they forgot who He was because they had allowed themselves to become separated Church, let's not allow ourselves to become separated.
Let's not allow ourselves to be ripped away from His presence by the things of this world. But let's commit to communing with Him. I believe, I believe that communion is the primary principle of prayer. I believe that everything flows from communion. I believe that your faith, I believe that your boldness, I believe that every principle of prayer that I've ever heard, it flows out of communion. Because when we commune with Him, it puts us in position of authority. It puts us in position of boldness. It puts us in position of faith. It correctly aligns us with where He has assigned us to be. And it teaches us not just to pray for what Brandon wants, not just to pray for what Church of the Living God wants, but it teaches us to pray for what the Father wants. If we're hearing His will, we're able to pray His will. If we're hearing revelation with what He wants to do in the city, we're able to pray for it. And there is nothing more powerful than we pray than when we pray the promises of God. When we pray what He's spoken, what He's revealed, what He's declared, what He's said, there is nothing more powerful than when we pray that. I haven't come tonight to tell you, don't take Him your worries. I haven't come tonight to tell you, don't take Him your issues. But take a few minutes before you start throwing the list at God. And I know sometimes the list gets exhaustive. And sometimes it gets so big, it's overwhelming. And you can't even remember it all. And you got to literally write it down so you can take it to Him. But take a few minutes. Take a few minutes to just commune with Him. Take a few minutes to worship Him. Because worship is a part of prayer. This is the most common word used for prayer in the New Testament. The most common word of prayer used in the Gospels and in the life of Jesus. I think he's trying to say something. I think he's trying to tell us that it's not all about asking, but it's about communing. And when we commune, and when we start to put ourselves in that correct position, then we have more authority to ask. Then we have more boldness to ask. Then we have a rightful stance to ask. And we have a revelation and an understanding to ask properly the way that he's called us to ask. I think that's all the time I got to tonight. Let's stand up and we'll pray before we get out of here. Thank you for listening to today's Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you were blessed by today's word. If you'd like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.